0: hello ladies and gentlemen boys and girls all the ships at sea lovers muggers and thieves welcome to the boston podcast my name is dave if you like our show i encourage you to follow us on apple podcast and if you like your own podcast it's a great time to start one up you got a little downtime it's the summer how about starting a podcast you can do it right from the privacy of your own home or office. Do it by the pool if you want. We'll ship you out a a microphone to get you started. It's what we do at the Boston Podcast Network. It's pod617.com in pod we trust. We are here to talk a little business today. I used to be in the financial business myself. Now I'm just doing this silly podcast thing, but what the heck. We like to check in with people from the business community. We've got Sean Jones on the line. He is an advisor at Jones Fiduciary Wealth Management, a particular expert in real estate investments. We welcome him to the show. He's also got a book, by the way, but let's properly welcome him. A round of applause. How are you doing today, Sean? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. it fun. And where, where exactly are you geographically right now? So our listeners know that.
1: I am right now in my home office in Pawtucket, Rhode oh. Island, a
0: little part of Pawtucket called Old Hill. Oh, okay. Well... I used to spend some time in Pawtucket, not just to visit the, the former Pawtucket Red Sox who moved, of course, but my, my dad was the longtime, long-time VP for WJRTV10 in Providence when we used to watch TV on that had actual channel numbers and stuff. Anyway, Where did you grow up, Sean? I actually grew up in Dover, Delaware.
1: <laughs>
0: Lived in Delaware for the first 28 years of my life, in fact. And went to the University of Delaware. I see the yeah. go fighting, and it's not the Mud Hens; it's something Hens, Blue, Blue hens. hens. Fighting Blue hens. hens. All right, very, very, very good. So you've 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 written a book, which I had in front of me, and now I can't find it, of course. But let's let's start with what you do. I know you help people out with their investments, but is it the real estate part that sets you apart? Give us an idea of that.
1: Yeah. So. I'll give you just a little bit of background because I think it lends itself to the sure. explanation for, in my last semester in college, mm-hmm. I started with a firm in Delaware, which I will not name, but I, I, one month short of my 20th anniversary, I left then and started my own firm, which was Jones Judiciary Wealth Management. And uh, that firm was a very good firm, which is why I stayed there with, for 20 years, it still is a very good firm. It's still run by some of my best friends. But what I would say is that I left because I felt they had a, an antiquated business model. And mm. I felt that I needed to leave so that I could, I guess, run a business model that was more, not client-centered, but more beneficial for the client. Felt that there was a lot of value that I could add if I had got rid of some of the constraints that were in place with the other firms. So that was a Jones Share Wealth Management my first or second month, I ended up also launching my first real estate fund. And yes, I would say that is one of the main ways that I am different. But the, so now I'm about to launch the fourth in this fall, probably going to be October 1st. So it's been a interesting two years for sure. Mm. But um, so Jones pretty sure wealth management is the wealth management side, and mm. Joe's real estate access is the real estate fund side. And basically, on the real estate side, we're just trying to give access to our clients at a very low fee, high transparency, high quality investments, where they generally aren't going to get access to those unless there's someone like me setting it up. So, so that's what that's all about. It's been good. It's people. Been- people- very interested
0: in that. What you're saying is, is a good segue to your book because your book is called Unbrainwashed Investing, how to protect your portfolio from today's misled industry. So tell us how most of us are brainwashed. What are, what are some of the, I don't want you to give away the whole book here, Sean, because we want people to buy it. You can buy it on Amazon, by the way. But what, what are some of the biggest fallacies out there that have led investors to be misled
1: well i think that basically what the industry as a whole tries to do is keep the individual investor constantly second guessing their strategies and mm-hmm. the reason they do that is because really nobody makes money until money moves right even myself it's true for me still my income can go up in two ways i can get more clients or the market can go up well the market's already going to do what the market's going to do so that leaves me with getting new clients so if i'm out there a guy trying to gain a lot of new clients i've got to make my i've got to make others feel uneasy about what they're currently doing or else they're not going to change what they're doing and so that that just exists and it's it is the whole industry all the media all of the any article you might read online or otherwise it's, it's always the the goal is to, in general, make people question what they're doing and it comes to people to make more decisions with their investments. So that's the general idea.
0: Yeah. I used to see this when I worked for Bernstein. My, sometimes my clients would, I, was, I would inherit clients from fellow advisors who left. So an advisor would leave in the office next to me and they would give me a lot of his clients. Now, a lot of the times in the industry, the client will just move with the advisor, but Bernstein was a little different. It took a little persuading. And so sometimes I would see a letter that the client would say, hey, Jimmy, after he left, he sent me this letter saying I should move over to him, right? And yeah. the in the letter was, it was a masterclass in persuasion, but to be more specific, manipulation. It What it did was it said, here's how... Bernstein my my firm has done over the past five years and here's how our clients here's how the funds are doing that we're investing our clients in now so now a sophisticated investor would see the sham right away but are you familiar with this are you familiar with this trick what what they were doing was saying we just picked for the the uh, the funds that have done the best over the last five years and we're putting well genius if i Ask, ask me to bet on who the last five winners of the Super Bowl were. I can look that up. I, is, that a, is that maybe part and parcel of what you're talking about? That's the old, my portfolio can beat up your portfolio and hey, Yeah.
1: Right. I mean, that's, that's pretty much how the old industry works. And that's sad. One way or another, that's how the old industry works for the most part. I mean, and really what's happening there is I talked about this in my book is that. True value isn't being added in any other way. And so, and if, if an advisor doesn't know how to add value, then they have to give the illusion of value. And the way they do that is by promising, promising returns better than whatever is being had. Right. Reality, that's, there's no such thing as someone that can, you know, pick stocks to beat the individual index. I mean, nobody in the world can do that. It's it's not, not on a publicly traded platform it just doesn't happen. It does not exist. And so what that leaves people not really understanding is, okay, well, that's not what you do, if you're not beating the court, if you're not beating the market, then what are you doing? Why am I investing with you? And so for a lot of my book is about what financial advisors should be doing. Um, and if you're going to hire a financial advisor, what should you expect from them so that you're not disappointed? You need to yep. know. If you're expecting that they're going to beat some sort of index, then Chances are you're going to either constantly be confused about what your investments are supposed to be doing, or you're going to be disappointed. It's probably yeah. number two
0: to outcomes. It's a shame people don't just kind of calm down and realize what the role is. Financial advisors are advisors like lawyers. So if you need to hire a lawyer because you're getting sued, do you expect to hire that, that lawyer and say, well, I expect to hire you and then I expect me to win the lawsuit completely fully without me paying anything. I'll pay you a little bit for your services. Or, now is that realistic or do you expect the lawyer to give you the best possible advice he can give you given the circumstances? And that to me is what a financial advisor does, helps you you guide, helps, helps you know, he's the the captain of your ship helping you navigate the waters, but. If a storm comes, it's not his fault. So, so, go ahead, go ahead, Sean.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I would say that the lawyer is going to get you the best result given the circumstances that are there. And that's also what an advisor does. And trouble is that hardly any advisors do that. They completely ignore taxes. They almost, they're almost, well, I don't know how to properly quantify this, but pretty much every portfolio I've seen because of, Because almost all firms are doing business in a way, have expenses that are just not justified. And so there's a lot of hands in people's portfolio in the pot and the advisors Mm -hmm. invited them in there because they're just trying to figure out a way to tell you something that will make you feel like they're valued. Yeah, I would say someone's concentrating on returns. It's probably because they're ignoring taxation, they're ignoring a lot of other things, which is where the value actually is. People's biggest expense is taxed, so.
0: so. Yeah, so what, what should people expect from their advisor? It's like, Sean, you seem like you know what you're talking about. What, what do you tell them in terms of how often are, you, are they going to hear from you? What type of advice should they be expecting? And should you be their soldier out there looking to make them more money or not necessarily? So you're welcome I, for the multi confusing, multi-part question. There you go. No, that's all right. I, I don't
1: care the expectation for the whole, whole industry as to how often they should be meeting. I think that, I, I mean, my practice is a little different. I have, I have under 75 clients. And so it's designed from the beginning just to be in constant contact with them. I mean, multiple conversations per month meetings, I don't know, three, four a year at least, oftentimes more than that. Hmm. But that's just how the practice is. I mean, I think if you're, and it also depends on how complex your situation is. So I think that if you have an advisor, you should have an expectation of seeing them, I don't know, at least two times a year. And there should be something of substance there. It's not just reviewing performance, but you're reviewing other things. So aside from how awesome to be meeting, what I have found, I mean, Ninety-nine percent of the time, I haven't actually done the statistic, but it's pretty much all the time. Is that most advisors are completely ignoring taxes, and I mean completely ignoring them? So there's one little test that I can do. Someone send me their statements within about half an hour. I can give them a number as to how much they are spending in taxes unnecessarily, and it's super easy stuff. And that's how I know they're not paying attention at all because it's not hard to do. It's not hard to implement. It just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of knowledge. So anyway, that's the biggest thing I think is, is the number one, the biggest line, low line fruit is taxation, especially if you have portfolio, say over a million dollars and you have a couple hundred thousand dollars in taxable investments, a couple of real estate properties. Once you get into a net worth over a million, million and a half it's taxes just creep in there real quick. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's how I'm trying to set myself apart. There's other ways. So, should you be looking for ways to improve the return? I think that's too simple a question. What I tell people is that we should be looking to maximize their after tax, their after tax wealth during Mm -hmm. their lifetime and for their heirs. So, maximize their return after taxes, both during their lifetime and which their heirs will perceive. And that's stated in the proper order there. And so a lot of that is right. bonds have been, in my opinion, pretty bad for a long time. So sometimes that's going out and helping figure out how to generate the income and, and protect the portfolio, mm. not just by buying the same stuff we've been buying for 40 years, but by helping clients find income and and preservation in other areas. So it's, it's a little bit everything, but yeah, it's, it's trying to figure out how to add value to clients every single day and my mind is constantly going about how to
0: do that. so let me go back to one thing you said earlier because it is one of the first things that you learn when you get into the industry is what you said nobody beats the market every year nobody beats the index every year there was one guy who claimed to do it and that was bernie madoff and we know how things worked out for him so the, the my question for you is is what i think a lot of investors say is well why Why not though? Why not do, you know, if you put a lot of research behind what you do, and let's say each year you figure out who the 20 most healthiest public companies are, and these 20 companies are experiencing all kinds of growth. Okay, that's where we're going to invest this year. If you do that every year, how could you possibly not make money every year? Now, I'm being sort of coy about this because I know what the answer is, but I'd like to hear how you've explained that to clients.
1: So the market's very efficient. So by the time you realize that these companies have whatever attributes you're thinking, you're going to make them outperform in the market in general, everyone else has already realized that. The institutions yeah. have NICMATs. Matter of fact, the research that your financial advisor is citing about reasons to make moves, whatever they are, that's data that's probably at least a month old and by the time it, by the time they read it in whatever report they're getting it from, they're not doing their own research by the time they're reading it, the market has priced in whatever is there anyway, I mean easily and quickly, so that's the reason um it's not by the way, I don't think that clients should not see to beat the returns of the stock market. I do think that. Hmm. just that you cannot. Beat the market by investing in the market. You have to look for other types of assets. And that's one way to do that is through real estate. And that's not, that's no secret in this country. I mean, people, everyone knows someone in their neighborhood, at their church, in their country club that got extremely wealthy in real estate. And people know a lot of people. It's not a secret in this country that real estate has been what has, is the leading asset class in terms of making people wealthy. Mm. And they just don't know or don't know how to get involved in the type of real estate that actually does that. So what do they do? They say, oh, I'm going to buy a second home and that's going to be my investments. That's not an investment, that's expensive. My brother-in-law is flipping houses. That's how I'm going to get involved in real estate. Whatever it is, there's all kinds of different ways. People who are misguided, I mean, they, they're armed with information that real estate is very valuable But they are lacking the information on how to get involved in a meaningful way where they're not taking on more risk than they should be and where the returns are going to be worthwhile. So, anyway, that's it's not that I don't think you can beat the market. It's that I just think you can't beat the market with the money you have in the market.
0: Right. Right. Which is, I I take it a, a lot of the advice that you give your clients in terms of that global look at their portfolio. So, It's Sean Jones, and the book is Unbrainwashed Investing. You can find it on Amazon.com, of course. Looks like you can get it on Kindle for just $3.99. I mean, what the heck, people? What are you waiting for? Anything else people should know about the book and also how to contact you, Sean? No,
1: I think the book is written in a way that is meant to be entertaining. I took a very straightforward, straightforward dialogue so that I didn't bore people to tears. I didn't Muddle any words, and that's a little bit of a tell-all. Really, uh, okay. Financial advisors get pissed off at me, but including my other firm, I actually wrote that in 2017. My previous firm wouldn't let me publish it.
0: Really? Uh, yeah. And so you ended up publishing it, not including the name of the firm, or including the name of the firm, or what happened there?
1: I didn't. I never named the firm to begin with, but they published oh, then based on how it was. Like I said, I've only ever worked for one firm, so they sell. It, right. So anyway, and. I guess January of 22, I finally got it revised and published. So, anyway, <laughs> it looks entertaining and it's not very expensive. So, and then as far as getting a hold of me, I blank Sean Jones. Me forward slash Boston. And my first name is S H A U N,
0: last name Jones dot me forward slash Boston. Very good. We're going to play a round of good stuff before we depart. Before we get there, let me just take one minute to remind you what we do here at the Boston Podcast Network. It's pod617.com, is where you go. If you want to start your own podcast, it's a great way of connecting with clients, with potential clients, with everyone in your network. You invite these people to be guests on your shows, and you can welcome them into our Westwood Mass studios or simply connect remotely. And we produce this spiffy product. Your friends, your network—they're all amazed at the product. And then we'll help you promote it at pod617.com. That's where you go to get started. It's the Boston Podcast Network. In pod, we trust. All right, let's play around of good stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. All right, good stuff. Both myself and Sean will recommend something good for you. Sean, you're the guest you get to go first. What do you have that might brighten our listeners' day? Can I do two? I have two quick ones that I'm getting greedy here. It's the finance guy. No, I'm kidding. Of course. Yes. Give us hit us both. Hit us with both of them.
1: All right. So I'm I'm getting back into golf. I played a a lot of golf when I was younger. And there is this channel on YouTube that I have just found to be, I don't know. I think it would have a lot of value for anybody under fifteen handicap. Mm-hmm. It's
0: called
1: Athletic Motion Golf. Athletic, athletic Motion Golf, okay. and I just I can't get enough of it. I think it does an unbelievable job of explaining what's actually happening in the golf swing. The second one it is probably something that's impacted my life more than anything in the last five years, anyway, and that is the parenting book. Actually, mm. uh, I would tagged myself as an old school, someone who has old school parenting thoughts or ideas. And uh, we Mm -hmm. were at a point of frustration with one of my kids. And I ran and I Googled something one day and there was the result of the Google was a PDF that had exactly the same question as what I had just typed into Google. So of course I read that. Mm -hmm. It led to this thing called cognitive parenting solutions. Mm -hmm. And Not only did it, I mean, it was, it had immediate results. First three, four days, we saw a change. It has totally been an inflection point in our parenting and our relationship with our kids. And it, I mean, it just really, and like I said, it impacted my life and my relationship with my kids more than anything in the past five years. So I think I had to say that. So positive parenting solutions.
0: Yes, and I'm um, looking at it here. It is as you would expect. Positive parenting solutions.com. looks like there's a, a free class you can take online. Mm-hmm. How, old you, how old are your kids, Sean? My oldest is 11, and my youngest is nine. I'm the oldest boy, youngest is a girl. Super and, at this. and now they're now they're perfect kids. <laughs> no, it's not <laughs> about them. It's <laughs>
1: about about what we were doing, right?
0: Well yeah i mean i have I have two boys. they're older, but it's never i'll quote I'll quote the Jason Robards character in one of my favorite movies, Parenthood, who says, and I'm paraphrasing, but you never you never get to the goal line, score your touchdown, spike the ball and do your touchdown dance when you're a parent. it's it's never over. They're always your kids. And so you're always, and it's never going to be perfect. You're always going to worry about them. You're always going to try to do a little bit better. You're never going to quite be perfect. Yes. No, so, but it's, but it's, it sounds like you're doing all the right things, Sean. We <laughs> did get a compliment.
1: Well, we did get a compliment this past weekend, actually. That was the best compliment I've ever had in my life. And someone asked me if we could, someone asked me if we could go for a beer and they could and I could tell them how I got my kids to act the way they do. Wow. Isn't that nice? Yeah. It's, and all I'm going to do is send them to Positive Parenting Solution and tell them enough from the book or the course to give them the proper motivation to go consume it. Yeah. But I'm sure there's plenty of others. That's, that was the first. That was a one-hit wonder for me or whatever you want to say. Yep. Direct shot right away and yeah. Can, I cannot recommend it enough.
0: So, and good and good on you. I had a similar experience where a friend said, he said, I'm just getting so impatient dealing with my son. And my wife said I should talk to you. And I said, What? Well, I mean, as it happens, I have a son, Adrian, who's he's he's 24 now. He, he but he has autism. And the thought is that I'm a patient, patient with all of his autism-related antics fact of the matter is he's just a great kid, and he's well behaved so I think I just got lucky but, uh, but but some of it's luck, some of it's being consistent, and some of it is not trying to be perfect and it it sounds like you get the, a lot of those lessons so
1: I mean it's just get you know, it's a hundred percent about getting out of your own way and right uh, any i mean basically any problem we were having with our kids was being caused by us so, it's not about the kids. They're
0: just reacting to everybody. Well, I know you're fiscally responsible. You'll save a little money for the therapy they'll need later in life. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I will recommend a documentary that I saw, and I'm struggling to remember what. I think it's on Netflix. Anyways, the, the documentary is called Print the Legend. Let's take a listen to a little bit of the trailer for Print the Legend. Everybody thought home computers were a really, really cool thing that only nerdy people were ever going to be into.
1: 3D printers are on that same kind of arc.
0: We're out to fuel the next industrial revolution by putting the power to manufacture things in your hands. 3D printing has the potential to revolutionize the way we make almost everything. Some of the developments that come from the 3D printer might put the first person to create that device on the pedestal of major social innovator.
1: Every day I get inspired by people who have maker bots and are doing amazing things. He grew up in an
0: entrepreneurial household, so he saw things getting produced. People who run successful small technology companies pretty much have to be crazy. When we started, we were the only one. Now we've got the big guys, and then we've got lots of small guys that think we're the big guys. Formlabs basically started in the basement of the house that David and I were living in. I thought, this is a quintessential geek we are bringing up, obsessed with what he's doing. If you're a leader,
1: every day there is something
0: new that comes up and smacks you in the face all right so what eventually happens is i'll let this go a little bit. i'm going to introduce you to one of the most dangerous men on earth we're information anarchists there should be one law if the police can have it if the military can have it then you can have it if somebody gets murdered with a maker-botted handgun then what happens right is iron so that's where the story kind of changes and takes a left turn because uh, the technology people who create the 3D printers are apparently in it for all the right reasons. Then, of course, what happens is somebody figures out how to make a gun with the 3D. And so you get that whole controversy. There is then some legislation that will outlaw 3D printed guns, but it's it's kind of like no good deed goes unpunished. So it's a good take. It's, it's probably like a 90-minute documentary or something, Print the Legend on on Netflix, I enjoyed it. I still, I still don't exactly get, and maybe just Sean, since you're in and around business, you'll have a thought on this. I still don't get exactly what it's for. So in the trailer, we heard custom made glasses. Okay. P- glasses frames. Print up, you, you print them yourself, design them yourself if you want. There is a bit in the documentary about a kid who needed a prosthetic limb and that was created by a 3D printer. Okay. Wonderful. Noble cause. But I, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing you're going to use every day. You know what? It, to me, it'll be good for it. will be like if you bring home a, something from Ikea and it's missing like a little part that's shaped in a certain way Print one of those. Like that, that, that to me, will be like, oh, fuck, good. We don't have to go back to the stupid store. But I don't know. Have you heard anything? Like if it's going to be the next big thing, what are we actually going to use it for?
1: Uh, my kid's been asking for one. I have actually a weird fantasy about when I retire becoming someone that invents little stupid things that anybody could think of and a couple million dollars each or whatever <laughs> and I think 3D printing is part of that I think it just takes but I have a couple designs right now and uh, trying to get them 3D printed is pr- kind of yeah. hard
0: mm-hmm. so anyway I think it just you're talking brings- about are you talking about it sounds like you're talking about maybe like novelty things like just kind of something fun to buy yes like the,
1: okay yep so I think it's just probably a 3d printer is going to reduce the time needed for innovation and the iteration. I mean, so all that stuff, what I've learned is that if you're trying to come up with a prototype before the thing's even done printing, you realize there's something wrong with it. Right. And so you got to do a bunch of iterations, redesign, and redesign, and redesigning, and I guess it just reduces that. So as far as like the, you're, I think you're wondering. How's the average household going to use a 3D printer? And I don't know the answer.
0: Yeah, so right, and you, I think you've said it, and and I think that's right. It it I think it'll be great for anyone who has that idea. Is like, you know, what I really want to make a coffee mug that doesn't spill when it tips over. Which of course somebody has already done, but something like that, you could rather than just having to go. Well, where do I go? I go. Do I go to a patent lawyer? Do I go to some manufacturer? How do I actually make the frigging thing? If I sure. just have the idea, then. I'm with you on that. I, I I'm I'm not sure for the average consumer if it if it makes sense. I had an idea. It's it now. It's like two years too late. It the the reality show Survivor. There is a thing where if you win a challenge, you get a so-called immunity idol, and they hand you and this they call it an immunity idol, right? So you're you're safe for the next round. I thought it would have been cool during the pandemic to do a coronavirus immunity idol, and that way. Whenever some, a friend of yours says, hey, did you get vax?" Yeah, oh, well, I bought you a present. And like for seven bucks, you get this little immunity idol. You could make it vaguely look like Dr. Fauci if you wanted, or something like yeah.
1: that.
0: <laughs> uh, that. See, if I had a 3D printer, maybe I would have made those. But yeah. too now everyone's, everyone's been vaxxed. You would have killed time. it for that idea, for sure. Thank you. Yeah, see, I thought it was pretty good. It's just painfully late. Anyway, Sean Jones, I hope you've had a good time. You've been an awesome sport. You've been an awesome guest. Thanks. Yeah, it was a good time. Thank you for having me. And we will put Sean's contact info in the show notes for those of you who didn't catch it during the course of the program. That doc I recommended, Print the Legend, is on Netflix. Check that out. And if you want your own podcast, go to pod617.com to get started. It's the Boston Podcast Network. On behalf of Sean and all you out there today, hopefully enjoying some sun during the summer, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Have a great day, everybody. I am a father of-